Topic 20, Third Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Topic 20, Third Paper by Reverend Walter H. Brooks. Reverend Walter H. Brooks, D.D., has a very unusual and interesting history. He was born a slave in Richmond, Virginia, August 30, 1851, his parents belonging to different masters. In 1859, his mother's master died, and arrangements were made to sell her and her six children, she being allowed to select a purchaser if she could find one. Through a white friend, his father bought Dr. Brooks' mother, together with two of the youngest children. Walter H. Brooks and an elder brother were bought by a large tobacco manufacturing firm in Richmond. In 1861, the breaking out of the war affected the tobacco trade, and many of the tobacconists were obliged to sell or hire out their slaves. Walter and his brother David were hired by their mother, who each quarter of the year managed to pay the amount agreed upon. For the next three years, both of the boys worked, thereby aiding their mother in paying their hire. After the war, Walter H. Brooks, for a short time, attended a primary school in Richmond, taught by a young lady from the North. In October 1866, he had received one year's instruction when he went to Lincoln University, Chester County, Pennsylvania. He remained there seven years, graduating in 1872, and then entered a theological class for one year. During the second year of his seminary life, he was converted and became an elder in the Presbyterian Church. He expected to become a Presbyterian preacher, but in 1873, his ideas having made him a subject to baptism, he joined the First African Baptist Church of Richmond, Virginia. For a short time, he was a clerk in the post office at Richmond, Virginia, but in 1874, having resigned his position, he entered the service of the American Baptist Publication Society in the state of Virginia. Having been ordained in December 1876, in April 1877, he accepted the pastorship of the Second Baptist Church of Richmond, Virginia, where he succeeded in paying off the entire debt of the church. In June 1880, he was sent as a delegate for the Virginia Baptist State Convention to the Baptist General Association in session at Petersburg, and he was the first colored delegate received by that body. In September 1880, he resigned the charge of the church and went to New Orleans, Louisiana, to commence work in the American Baptist Publication Society's employ, but his wife's failing health caused him to return to Virginia in 1882. In November 1882, he was called to the pastorship of the 19th Street Baptist Church of Washington, D.C., where he has been ever since. Roger Williams University, Nashville, Tennessee, and State University, Louisville, Kentucky, both honored him with the title of Doctor of Divinity, while his alma mater in June 1883 conferred upon him the degree of M.A. Recently, he was elected a trustee of the United Society of Christian Endeavor to represent the colored Baptists of the world. Dr. Brooks has distinguished himself as a temperance advocate and for a number of years has been the chaplain of the Anti-Saloon League of the District of Columbia. His article printed some years since in the National Baptist of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on George Leal, the Black Apostle, and his more recent paper on the beginnings of Negro churches in America, 
have won for him many praises. For 28 years, Dr. Brooks has been in public life, and his power as a speaker still gives him a commanding influence in the pulpit and on the platform. Dr. Brooks married Miss Eva Holmes of the family of Reverend James H. Holmes of Richmond, Virginia, and this union resulted in the birth of ten children, eight of whom are living, four boys and four girls, the oldest born being twenty-seven years of age, the youngest four years. The Christian religion is eminently adapted to the wants of humanity. It has always had a charm for lowly and oppressed peoples. It was, therefore, the one thing above all others which gave comfort and hope to the American Negro during the night of his long bondage. The story of the enslavement and marvelous deliverance of God's ancient people, of Daniel the prophet and the Hebrew youths, whom God protected and honored in the house of their bondage, the Psalms of David, the sweet singer of Israel, the inspired narratives of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God, the biblical account of the faith, sufferings and triumphs of the apostles, and the manifold promises of God made to all who served him in truth and patiently wait for their fulfillment, could not fail and influence the conduct and life of American Negro slaves. It was in circumstances like these the Christian Negro, many years ago, sang out his hopes, his sorrows, and his soul yearnings, in melodies peculiarly his own, whose plaintive strains have been echoing around the globe for a generation and more. The balm of Gilead was never so soothing to the wounds of an Israelite as the gospel of Jesus Christ was in the dark days of slavery to the oppressed and sorrowing soul of the unfortunate Negro. It is not surprising, therefore, that at least one-fourth of the entire Negro population of the country was devout Christians forty years ago, while the entire Negro population was nominally believers in the living and true God and in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Whether the Negro Christian has lost some of his old-time love for Christ and his zeal for the sanctuary is in the minds of some an open question. We, however, believe that the Savior and the sanctuary are dearer to the Negro than ever. Indeed, so far as the census, which was taken by the United States in 1890, proves anything as to the matter of religion, the Negro is the most religious citizen of the country. Here is an extract from that report. Quote, the Negro population of the country, exclusive of Indian Territory and Alaska, according to the census of 1890, is 7,470,040. As the Church's report, 2,673,197 Negro communicants, exclusive of the Indian Territory and Alaska, it follows that one person in every 2,079 of the Negro population is a communicant. Excluding Indian Territory and Alaska, the total population is 62,622,250 and the total of the communicants, 20,568,679. The proportion here is one communicant to every 3.04 of the population. In other words, while all denominations have 328.46 communicants in every 1,000 of the total population, the colored organizations reported have 357.86 communicants in every 1,000 of the Negro population. Unquote. According to this showing, 
more than a third of the entire negro population of the country was enrolled as active members of the churches ten years ago at the same time less than a third of the white population was connected with the churches of the land it remains to be seen whether the census of the united states which is now in process of completion will show any change in the relative strength of the negro and white churches of the country it is certain that the negro christian is displaying commendable zeal in erecting spacious houses of worship in acquiring school property in giving the gospel to the heathen in africa and in other parts of the world in raising funds for the cause of education and in providing himself with a religious literature of his own making in the quality of his religion we dare say there is room for improvement but the changes mostly need for his highest good are intellectual material social commercial and political in nature rather than religious the negro christian is as a rule as good as he knows how to be he often errs not knowing the scriptures but sometimes plunges headlong into the ditch of shame because his spiritual adviser and instructor is a blind leader of the blind christian schools however are giving us better leaders every year and the time is hastening when the negro christian of america shall be respected and loved because of his intelligence his christian piety his zeal for god's cause his manly bearing his general worth as a moral and material contributor to the well-being both of the state and of the country which claim him as a citizen and because of his excellent spirit and gentlemanly deportment end of topic twenty third paper